Do me a favor, real quick. Yeah. Speak. Alles goed met je. Ik ben Thomas Bijner. Ik krijg gewoon over twee jaar in Nederland. What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films, so to keep my friends happy and potentially provide a new perspective on these films, I am on a quest to change that. However, as always, I am not on that quest alone. This week, once again, I'm joined by my good friend, except for the fact that he's a Tar Heels fan, TJ Werner. TJ, how is it going? How are you doing? Great to be back, my bro. Thanks for having me. Please respect UNC next time. Six-time national champions. Louisville have, what, two? Three. Three. Oh, okay, so. technically one got rescinded, but it was stupid. So two. I still count 2013. So two. We're good. Nice one. No. Let's get the show on the road, my bro. We need to pick up where we left off last time. Yes, we do. Wow. Yeah, let's get straight into it. The guest is more excited than I am. Here we go. You know what is Easter? I am in a good mood. Christ is risen and we are doing great. Sure. Wonderful. So where we last left off our heroes in this film, things were not looking good. No, they were not. Warden Norton is a world-class monumental dickhead. If you were listening to what I said last time, my opinion has not changed. I absolutely despise this filthy disgusting bastard and i hope he gets what's coming to him in the worst possible way but there is only one way to find out if that happens that is very true so as we are going along what has happened for anyone if you're jumping in on episode four my recommendation go listen to one through three they're already out but if you are jumping in on episode four tommy has just been killed andy has said i'm done running the books for you norton and Norton's like, well, nothing's going to change, ends up giving him another month in solitary confinement, a.k.a. the hole. So now, where we are, we see Andy alone, dejected by himself at a wall, and Red comes over to him. Obviously, Andy's very upset. You know, his protege, per se, in Tommy has just been murdered by Norton and Hadley. So things are not looking good. Andy opens up to Red that his wife used to say that he's a hard man to know, like a closed book. He loved her, but he just didn't know how to show it, which I understand. Like, you know, it's not always the easiest for people to show their affection. Like, there might be a lot of love, but they don't necessarily know how to show it to the world and make it well known that, like, I love you. Which... Maybe it's just me being me. If your wife is saying that to you, that's a bit of a red flag. Whether it's on her part or your part, up to interpretation. But if your wife is saying that to you at this point in the film, after you've been at the lowest of lows, two months in solitary confinement, one week in that would absolutely send me over the deep end. TJ, you do know that his wife is dead, right? Of course I know his wife is dead. And I think that, especially especially the fact that you've been convicted of her murder and the murder of her paramour, makes it even worse. Sure, sure, okay. I, that, that, again, again, that's just me, but we're, we're move on. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, look, you're here to give us your opinions, and opinions are opinions. Uh, so. uh, you, can't, you, you can't argue opinion, you can't argue taste, but you can state what is there. 
and what is there is that Andy has just spent two months in solitary confinement after 19 years in prison for a double murder that he is unequivocally innocent of. Exactly. So Andy says, you know, in reality, I did kill her. I didn't pull the trigger, but I killed her because I drove her away. And he believes that she died because of him. Which is kind of dark. So Red says, no, that doesn't make you a murderer. Bad husband, sure, but you didn't pull the trigger. And Red makes a very good point, and I really like that, of, no, you're not a murderer. You might be something else which is just a bad husband, like we had kind of just discussed in what both of us just said, but not necessarily, it doesn't make you a murderer. It makes you just a bad person in that aspect of life, but not someone who took someone else's life. And I will say that, you know, putting that on yourself, I can only put that as a consequence Maybe not a consequence, but a side effect of being alone with your thoughts and only your thoughts in the dark for a month. For two two two, months. months, Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, two months. That's definitely what probably caused him to have all of these thoughts. But also, just got to say, really healthy of Andy that even though he's been alone with his thoughts for two months, he is still talking to Red about this so really good on him good on him good on red for really offering him that that space you know in prison it's a difficult thing to find people you can trust people you can rely upon and people you can really frankly open up to it's a difficult environment in at the best of times and to have a friend like andy does who is willing and able to give you his true, honest opinion anytime, frankly, you or he needs to give it is a blessing that I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would really know what to do with at that point. But after two months in solitary, Red is still there, still his friend, still somebody who Andy can rely upon in any situation. And even if it's not what Andy wants to hear, it is what he needed to hear. Because no, he did not kill his wife. Maybe he drove her away. Maybe he, his demeanor, his personality wasn't what she needed. And that's something that, you know, only they can know. But no, he didn't kill her. He is fully innocent of that. And, you know, he's innocent of that. Is he innocent of whatever else has happened behind bars? Again, we'll never know that. That's. I mean, he did have a fun little line in the what we covered in the last episode, where he was like, "Look, I had to come to prison to become a crook." Yeah, which I enjoyed. It was a good line. It's a good line, and it's relevant. You know, prison turns people into something different than what they are. Definitely, and uh, we'll learn more about that very soon. Indeed. So, Andy looks very determined. Well, first he says that it's bad luck, and that he got caught up in the bad luck tornado. And I kind of like the idea of like a tornado of bad luck, but like the tornado is also like a sentient being 
Like maybe it's just like a minor god like they have in Greek mythology where it's just like it's just a tornado of bad luck and it's just the god of bad luck having like a fun time and just like, you know, driving around and just being like, well, you get some bad luck today. You get some bad luck today. It's entirely possible, you know. (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, at this at this point, you know what? Norton is the closest incarnation of the devil. You know, he has taken the most pure, the most innocent character and dragged him down to the utter depth. Right, but that's not... I'm not talking about Norton right now because even Andy's not talking no, about I, Norton. Oh, I know. I so I know your hatred for Norton, but wait, wait, we will get to Norton. Oh, I know. I know, <laughs> we'll, get to, I know we'll get to Norton. All I'm saying is that, you know what? There is, there is a present... There's a present evil that exists within Shawshank. Maybe it's the god of bad luck. Maybe it's the devil. Maybe it's Norton himself just fucking exercising his true omnipresence over everything that goes on behind these walls. I don't know. Thank God I am not behind the walls of Shawshank. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you, my bro, and not in that prison. All I'm saying is that if it's the god of bad luck, Andy has gotten the absolute lion's share of it. From the sisters in part one, from... Norton from getting absolutely forced to betray all of his principles and all of his morals and all of his training as a banker to make this awful machine turn, to make the wheels of this prison grind along and create whatever it is they create. He has been instrumental in that. And, you know, for better or for worse, whether or not he however he however andy feels about that that has been what he that has been his role in this film and behind bars and behind the bars of shawshank it's very true yeah i I don't have much more to add to that so andy just looks very determined he asks red if he thinks that he'll ever ever get out of here and that's the first time that i had an inkling that andy's planning on getting out or at least he's going to attempt something And Red says, yeah, I think I will. Once I have a long white beard, some marbles running around upstairs, they'll let me out. And in my notes, I just have, I mean, I'm not going to lie, Red. If you just grew out your beard and stopped shaving, it would probably be a white beard. And the rest is just acting, and you seem pretty good at that. So, like, you know, you could get out of here pretty easily. I mean, you, you wonder how much of his interviews with the prison parole board, you wonder how much of that is acting, how much of that is actively him. I don't think any of it is acting with the prison parole board. I mean, right, because um, neither time that we have seen it so far, he's you can tell that he's just saying what is meant to be said. I mean, as, so as a guy, I won't call him a hardened criminal. But as somebody who has become wholly institutionalized by this prison and cynical to boot because of it, you know, yes, is he saying what they want him to say? Obviously not because he hasn't been paroled yet, but he's also saying the most honest answer he can give because, you know, he has been broken down to his basest being by this prison, by this system. And yet he's still here. You know, he's still doing his best. No, I agree with that. I'm not saying that he's not here. He's not doing his best. I'm just saying that, like, in the meetings, because we've seen the one with 20 when we got introduced to him. 
We see the one with 30 years, so which is in the middle. So remind me. So the, the most recent one we did was 30, was 30. Years. The first one we see in the film, is that 20 or is that 10? 20. 20. Okay, yes. And neither time that he was in that meeting, because you were saying how much of what is he saying is that acting? None of it. Because the thing is, is he's not acting in those moments. As Red, obviously Morgan Freeman's acting, and that's fine. But, you know, that's his job. Yeah, not <laughs> <laughs> But what I'm trying to say here is, like, in Red's character himself, right, he is simply saying the words that he knows they want to, like, hear as the parole board. And for no one listening, because this is an audio medium... I just did air quotes with my fingers when I said words he wanted to hear. I don't know why I did that. None of you could see it. But here we are. So, but I think it's, you know, he isn't acting in those moments. He's just saying what people want to hear. Even though, and he knows what the outcome's going to be with rejection. So I don't think he's acting. But I was just saying, like, you know, if he really wanted to get out of here, I don't think he's too far off from it. Anyway. So, Andy says that he wants to go to, and help me out here because I might mispronounce this, Zihuatanejo. Zihuatanejo. There we go. It's a place in Mexico. I have no idea if this is a real place in Mexico. It's, it's a real place. It's about, it's on the West Coast, on south of the Sea of Cortez. It's about, I think... Two hours north of Acapulco by car, give or take. Who knows? Sure. It's a lo- lovely little town, lovely beach community on the west coast of Mexico. And I actually, after I watched the uh, watched the film, I looked this up on Google Maps to see where is it, what's it look like. It's pretty lovely. You know what? I I would not be opposed to spending a couple weeks there, just kicking back, enjoying the sun, having some nice food, spending time with the locals. It's a nice place. Fair enough. I mean, we see why Andy would want to go there if that's what it's like. I, again, have no reference. But apparently, and I don't know if this is true, and, you know, I have a Mexican friend and it's just never come up. But apparently Mexicans say that the Pacific has no memory, which is understandable. It's such a vast ocean and so many things like, yeah, you kind of can't have a memory. I wouldn't know. But, but it's, 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 it's a wholesome idea to base the finale of this film on yeah c- compared to compared to all of that they've done all that they've gone through you know to, it's that beacon uh, of hope like we were talking about in the last exactly episode. exactly cannot put it any better than that man and so this is where he wants to go he wants to live a warm place with no memory and andy has a simple dream he just wants to open up a hotel on the beach buy an old boat fix it up and just take his guests out carter fishing he just wants a nice simple calm life where he still gets to do what he loves with numbers and you know just have some fun as well with the boat wholly understandable after everything he's dealt with exactly so andy then looks at red and says in a place like that he could use a guy who can get things red looks at andy and says he doesn't think that he can make it on the outside he's too institutionalized my heart broke at that moment i was so sad you know i'm rooting for red to get out i I still think Red is getting out. I don't feel good about Andy currently. I'll 
I'll explain a bit more at the end of this scene of why I think that. Something I'm going to bring up just for fruit for thought for later on in the episode. You wonder, is Red the angel of the story? Yes, he's the narrator, but is he also somebody who represents to Andy beyond the the spark of hope that began when Andy played the marriage of Figaro in, in the warden's office is red beyond being Andy's rock. Andy's confidant is red. The spark in Andy and frankly, in all of us, somebody who's made mistakes in the past, who knows they've made mistakes, who is sorry for those mistakes and who genuinely just wants another chance. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's kind of, you know, we'll learn more about that as well very soon. And so, you know, that broke my heart. And then Red says, you know, it's not like here. Inside, I'm the guy who can get things. And outside, you just need the yellow pages. Andy says, you know, I've paid for my mistakes and then some, which he has. And the hotel and boat just isn't too much to ask for. Red tells him to stop. These are just pipe dreams. It's a shitty thing to do to himself. Mexico's way down there and you're all the way up here. And that's just the way that it is. Andy says that it comes to a simple choice. Get busy living or get busy dying. Remember that. That, I think, is the most critical, most most all-encompassing line from this film. Whether or not you believe it, up to you up to your interpretation of the film up to your interpretation of life but you know whatever you're struggling with whatever you're dealing with in life whatever stone the universe is thrown in your direction at the most basis sentiment get busy living or get busy dying i agree i mean it's such a simple line and we can't talk about it in any way, shape, or form that'll make it any more insightful than it is. It's very self-explanatory. And, you know, I've heard the phrase before. I don't know if it is, like, coined in this film. It was. It was? It okay, was. Yeah. cool. I've heard the phrase before. I agree. I mean, like, look, life's hard. And, you know... You have two choices, either get busy living or get, or get busy, busy dying. dying. Yeah. So S- simple as, man. You know? Yeah. Simple as. Andy starts to walk away and he asks Red a favor. And it's that if he ever gets out, Red goes up to a big hayfield up near Buxton with a long rock wall with a big oak tree at the north end, like out of a Robert Frost poem. It's where he asked his wife to marry him. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. That's just such a nice place. We find out more. Mm -hmm. And Red is at first confused. And Andy turns and has an anger in his eyes almost. you say anger? I would say more of a fire in his eyes. Like, anger implies... It felt like fiery anger. I'll explain. Explain your fire. And then I'll explain my anger thought. So I would say anger implies that there's... A wickedness behind it there is something that he that he wants to do harm to somebody else or take out what he's feeling on somebody i would say fire fire in this sentence in this sentiment being determination that if red ever gets out 
Andy needs him on the outside as much as he needs him on the inside. That these two men have become brothers, not by blood, but by bond. In all that they do, in their souls, in their experiences, they have become more than just two men. They've become two aspects of the same person. And I would say determination in that case being if Andy gets out, we'll get to that later on, if he gets out, he can't be complete on the outside without Red. Definitely. The reason that I said anger was you could see how much he was hurting throughout the whole scene. And at that point, I felt like, you know, I understand the fire, but he wanted, it felt like he wanted a bit of revenge. Okay, yeah, that that's entirely plausible as well, yeah. And definitely. so, I mean, even what he says, not necessarily what he says, but just the way that these lines are delivered, which I can never do them justice, but I will read these lines in just a moment. But the way that they're delivered, it gave me the undertone notion that he is so fed up with what he has had to go through for something that he has always said that he is innocent for. Mm -hmm. And now the warden is also, you know, killing other people just because of him. Yeah. I think all of yeah, that yeah, combined, yeah. what I got in that moment was he wanted revenge. Revenge against the warden, revenge against the system. Revenge Reven against the shitty card he's been dealt so far. I didn't know in what sense he might want the revenge. I didn't know like if he would go after a system or after the warden. My inkling is telling me that he would go after the warden. Because the warden is the root cause for at least the recent problems. Yeah. And so my thought is that he wants revenge on the warden. And he's saying um, that the system and everything that is wrong and, you know, the crappiness that I've been dealt and everything. The warden kind of encompasses it, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, like I was going to say, would you say the warden represents that shitty card he's been dealt? I think so. Okay, I think the it. warden represents that. Yes, okay, so, that's what I was curious but about. But what he says with this fiery anger look in his eyes, promise me, Red, if you ever get out, find that spot. At the base of that wall, you'll find a rock that has no earthly business in a main hayfield. A piece of black volcanic glass. There's something buried under it I want you to have. Red asks what's there, and Andy says you'll just have to pry it up and find out. Mm -hmm. And then that's the end of the scene. Amazing scene by both of the actors. I think, honestly, my favorite scene in the entire film. I yeah, I think this is the best scene in the film. Because yeah, this, this is the two. This is Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman, absolutely flexing their acting chops. This is the two of them, showing everything that the two of them have endured in this film. All of the hardship all of the pain, all of the struggle, and all of the brotherhood that the two of them have built over 19 years in this hellhole. This is the two of them. I would, I would go so far as to say that this is the closest moment they have in the film. Beyond all of the, all of the discussions about the posters, about the rock 
Hammer, the library. Sure, I will say it's the closest moment that we've seen so far. Okay. The reason I say that is obviously it's a film. You can't see every interaction that they have had in 19 years. Naturally. Okay. That is, that is well true. So it is the closest moment that we have gotten to witness as an audience so far. Fair enough. But at at the same time, it also makes you wonder, okay, you know, are we naturally, we will never ever be able to see every interaction that these two men have had over 19 years but what i would ask and and i'm genuinely asking you this since i've seen this film before you haven't <laughs> and i w- <laughs> yes. i want to make sure i want to know if how you feel about this would you and this is, this is a bit of an abstract concept granted it's a film would you say that the only important interactions between these two men are the ones that we have seen or the ones that we haven't. Because when, when I say it's the most inter- important interaction between these two men, I'm going at that from the assumption that we are seeing the most important interactions between Red and Andy because they are the two main characters in the film. Sure, and I completely get that. We probably are seeing the most important interactions. However... Also, you know, having done this work and trained in this and one of the exercises, I have no idea if the actors did this. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I have no clue. You're a trained actor. I'm not. Exactly. And so one exercise that we would do a lot was improvise a scene that we never see. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Right? Uh, and yeah. so that's Explain something that, that my that. my teacher. So like we were doing a scene where in a show blanking on the name of the show but i was doing a scene and i was supposed to ask the girl to marry me wholesome lovely but and we see the proposal happen okay yeah we um... don't see the conversation that happens before the proposal right is it the conversation that leads into the proposal yeah because we kind of or is it the preamble to the proposal Kind of both, like, Fair enough. in in that show, if I remember it correctly, it was a couple years ago, so everything's not the clearest, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, but we kind of, like, get dropped into the middle of the scene. Almost like a dream. Yeah. It, oh, sorry. I'll, I'll come up with sorry. the name. I'm, I'm trying I'm, to think of the name. Abstract concept. Don't no, it me. is like a dream, because, like, in this show, and anyone that went to grad school with me and was in this show is going to be kicking me. University of Essex, East 15 Wee. Acting School. So, um, <laughs> so here we go. It's the but one. we were doing it, and so what our director had us do was improvise the scene up until the start of where we kind of get dropped in. So there's because there is a conversation that was happening beforehand. Oh yes. That then led to the moment you get dropped into the scene, right? There's always a conversation beforehand, and the reason that I say that. Is it's the most, I agree with what you were asking, that we are seeing the most important conversations. Yes. In terms of the script, it works. But also, as an actor outside of it. So the script or the plot? Both. Okay, fair enough. I guess I just want to. The script is the plot. Okay, okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Carry Um, on, please. But, so, 
But at the same time, I don't necessarily know what the actors did outside of it while they were prepping these roles. Maybe they did do something like this. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't alive. So, but like it, maybe they did do an improvised scene like this and it really helped, you know, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman to find that connection. And so that's why I'm saying it's the most important scene that we as an audience have gotten to seen so far, because there may have potentially been something off stage, off screen, completely just in, you know, the rehearsal room where something was done like that. And they had a very important conversation to just bring their characters together. But I agree that it is the most important scene that we have seen at this point in the film. Okay. So let's carry on to the rest. And yeah. See so what other important scenes we see? Maybe something is more important than this as we carry on. Definitely. But before we get on, I just wanted to say I had some questions after this scene. First was what's under the rock. Also, how do you know that this is this rock is still going to be there? My prediction is that it's either going to be money, something that Red can use for money, like a ring or something like that. You know, because I'm thinking that it's something that he already hid. Like, if he knows that it's there, it's something that's been there. And my silly guess is that it's going to be a chess piece or something to remind Red of Andy. And my wild out-of-the-park guess is that it's the gun from the beginning of the movie. Okay. Yeah, fair. fair <laughs> uh, I have a question. Yeah. You mentioned ring. Do you think it's plausible that it's Andy's wedding ring? from i think so yeah i think that that's the ring that i'm assuming that it might be okay fair enough. again it's it's kind of a wild guess call me call me curious about the subtle nuances of what you're predicting i'm just curious fair enough now here's my prediction i've been kind of right not very right on most of the predictions i've had so far currently i think the only prediction that i still got going on is that red is going to be the one to get the redemption per se, and I don't have a good feeling about Andy. I still don't. So Andy has, n- again, like I said, Red This scene is- didn't give me a lot of hope. Andy was very angry throughout the whole scene, Red which again, the- great control by Tim Robbins, but... Tim Robbins, always a win. If Tim, Ro- Tim Robbins, if you ever end up listening to this, you are an absolute master. Thank you for allowing us to enjoy your performance in this film. Thank Hi, Tim, much. if you're listening, two things. One... Thank you. And to please reach out. I would love to have a chat. <laughs> so here's the prediction that I'm going with right now. Andy's going to do something rash or dangerous, if not rash. This will cause him to get caught or killed. I'm thinking that it's some type of escape plan and it's just going to go wrong. Red is eventually going to get parole and go to this place that Andy has told him to go to, this oak tree. I think Andy's going to die soon. Just because of the way that he was speaking in the last scene, the anger that he holds, and the music during the scene, amazing music, didn't feel good. Gave me a very ominous feeling and made my skin crawl as he was saying everything. So I was not thrilled, but, you know, it was happening. Also, I just kind of noticed that in all the voiceovers, Red has been talking about Andy in the past tense. Which does not make me feel confident, but it does make me more confident that Andy's gonna die soon. 
and eventually red is going to get out and that's the redemption so i'm still sticking true to that that's what i believe is happening all right let's carry on and find out here we go so red is in the cafeteria he's telling all the guys that you know i'm worried about andy he's talking crazy haywood mentions that andy came to the loading dock asking for a length of rope about six feet long and at first i was like boats and then i was like no no they just get shipments in trucks so <laughs> some guys say that andy wouldn't do what brooks did but red isn't sure and honestly yeah i get that and red says every man has a breaking point so andy is finishing up his work for the warden the warden says you know it's good having you back it's not the same without you and <laughs> oh, oh yeah no in my notes i'm like yeah because you don't care about people you horrible monster you preach good things about the lord and yada 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 you're a living hypocrite you are the devil incarnate Please do not get me started. I will not shut up about Warden Norton. Let's You're right. Let's move on. So Andy is back in his cell and he brings out the rope. And Red is also alone, very worried. And in Red's voiceover, we hear he's had long many nights in the stir, alone with his thoughts, time drawn out like a blade. But that was the longest night of his life. After that conversation. After that conversation, after learning that Andy had the rope, everything. I'm not, I wouldn't have slept that night either. Exactly. And I was like, this makes sense. And then, you know, you see Andy with the rope. You have a thunderstorm outside. And I'm like, aha, everything is set. Here we go. Andy's going to be perfectly fine in the morning. Andy's not going to die because, you know, there are too many cliches happening for andy to die oh no it's the plot <laughs> <laughs> but before we find out what happens to andy we're gonna take a quick intermission and we will come back and find out what happens to andy hello everyone and welcome to the intermission i hope you're enjoying this episode of post finale Real quick, before we get back to it, if you would like to support the show and gain access to a lot of bonus content and various things, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash postfinale. There are multiple different tiers, and everyone gets a shout-out. You can put your patron name down as anything you want, as long as it isn't offensive or something that might get me in trouble. I will read it on the air. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's not one of those things. So go on over to patreon.com slash postfinale if you want to help the show in a monetary way. And any money that is made from the Patreon will go directly back into the show to help pay for better microphones, better editing software, and things like that. Now, if you cannot support the show in a monetary way, that is completely fine. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I hope that you continue to join in for future episodes. And if you want to help the show, you can still do so. Follow us on social media at PostFinalePod on all the major platforms except for TikTok. That's the only one that I'm not on. And it's important to follow those because that's where I post updates and fun sometimes behind the scenes of me and some of the guests hanging out if we're in the same area or... This is also where I will be announcing what the next film is as we are getting to the end of The Shawshank Redemption tomorrow on Thursday. If you are listening to this on Wednesday when it comes out, I will be posting what the next film is going to be that I am going to be reviewing. So be sure to follow us on social media at Post Finale Pod. You can also tell a friend about the show reach out to them and be like, hey, there's this new show. The host is funny and gets things wrong all the time. Go on 
tell them about the show. That's the best way to grow the show. And I thank everyone that has done this already or will do it in the future. And I also thank anyone who has spoken about us on social media. Please do that. I love hearing from all of you who are listening. Thank you so much. And let's get back to the episode. And we are back. So in bed in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) That's a wonderful way to start this part of the episode. So the next morning at prisoner check, Andy doesn't come out of his cell. And the big boss isn't very happy. They come, they check his cell and just say, oh, my holy God. And we cut. (laughs) And so this is when I processed, oh, I was very wrong. Andy is not dead. Nor will he die. He's just gone. Yep, gone. <laughs> up, up up, like a, like a ghost in the night, right? I was very wrong. The warden is obviously very pissed off. And warden can... Can I, can, I, can I say suck a dick? I give you permission. The warden can suck a dick. <laughs> so, the warden is pissed off. And poor Haig, who was the guy, like, you know, doing the roll call in the morning, was just like, he wasn't there. I don't know what else to tell you. And I feel for Haig. He's like, look, he was there at night. He wasn't there in the morning. I don't know what more information you want. And while this is all happening in the cell, I just noticed in the background, Andy has the picture of Albert Einstein on his wall, like the one with his tongue sticking out, like the famous (laughs) one. I always like that picture. Fun picture. It's not just girls that he has on his wall. He also has scientists. Mm -hmm. Fun picture. It was just always a fun picture and a small detail that I noticed. So... The warden points out the obvious that he was there at Lights Out and he isn't there now and that he wants him found immediately, which makes me think he ain't going to be found immediately. Not not later, not after breakfast. Immediately. Immediately. (laughs) So they bring in Red and they question him. Red is obviously confused, says he didn't say a word, which is the truth. Red is also very confused. He's like, I don't know. Like, he didn't tell me anything. Not what the word wants to hear, clearly. No. And not what Clancy Brown wants to hear, either. Not at all. Is that the person who plays the warden? That, no, that's that's Hadley. Clancy oh, Brown. fair enough. Also, okay. vo- also voice Mr. Krabs and Lex Luthor in Justice League, if you're curious. Oh, good to know. Okay. Sure. So, the warden points out the poster of the girl, and immediately I'm like, oh, there's a tunnel behind the girl. And behind the poster. We'll get to it in a moment. You, There is absolutely <laughs> no way in the world you said, oh, yeah, there's a there's a tunnel behind this girl. There is absolutely no Do you want to no look way. at my notes? I have Warden points out the poster yes, of the girl. I, I am coming, I am coming over to your side of the legitimately, there is absolutely the no next, way. The next bullet point is, oh, there is a tunnel behind the poster. I call cap. There is no look way. Look at that. <laughs> He he is true. He, that is true. That there that is that is one of his notes. I stand corrected. I will, I, I will buy the first round just for that. Coca Cola. Here we come. So the warden calls it a huge conspiracy Coca-Cola and starts is throwing H two O. Forget it. So the warden calls it a huge conspiracy and starts throwing rocks. It's a conspiracy that he had that in his notes. I guarantee you, he had a spoiler. I did not. No, I'm just somewhat occasionally right when I guess. Normally I'm wrong, but look, can I have the one big one? Yes, you can have a Coke. Well done. Great. So (laughs) he throws the rocks and he throws a rock at Raquel 
who was on the poster and it reveals a massive hole and i was like oh this tunnel has been dug for a very long time but i was right there was a tunnel let's go well done Ankit. <laughs> i'm proud of you so i was like how did he dig the hole and then I was like, with that little rock hammer from the beginning, I was very confused as well. I just was happy that there was a hole, honestly. And I and this is when I started like thinking about all of this. I was like, oh, like has he been planning this ever since he asked for Rita Hayworth all those years ago? And like everything started clicking a bit in my head. I was like, oh, this is why he wanted Rita Hayworth. This is, you know, what he was doing and all of that and why the poster was so important. And I was just like, talk about a master plan and way to keep it quiet. Like he was legitimately playing the long game, and it longest makes possible sense. game. You know it what? makes sense. I mean, his favorite game was chess, and he's the one that brought up chess to red. You know, he's used to thinking 10, 15, 20 moves ahead potentially, and that seems like the kind of guy that Andy is. So, it makes sense. And also, I just wanted to point out. A great shot through the hole. You have Warden and Hadley, and they are scared and mystified. And then on the left side of the screen, you just have Red in a corner, just shocked and confused. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I I'm not sure how I'm not sure how I'd react to that. Yeah. So now that I realized, oh, there's a tunnel. I was like, okay, this now makes a lot more sense of everything that Andy was saying in the scene that we were discussing earlier. You know, Andy's going to go to this big oak tree. He's going to leave directions to Red on how to find him under that piece of volcanic glass. That's what's going to end up being there. But for right now, we don't know where Andy is. And as the warden wants him, found immediately. The search is on. They've got officers. They've got dogs. That's it. That's all that they had. They, they, they have a guy who <laughs> holds up the rock hammer and takes the photo. Yep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They had officers. They had dogs. They had photographers. That's all that he had. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. This it, it was it it seemed like a lot, but it wasn't that much. It, it was not a very intensive search, from what it looks like. It didn't pan out very well because we find out that in 1996, Andy escaped, and all that they found was a muddy set of prison clothes, a bar of soap, and an old rock hammer, damn near worn down to the nub. And Red remembers thinking that it would take 600 years to dig a tunnel through the wall with it. And Andy did it in less than 20. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. So, makes, you wonder, makes you wonder what they actually made this prison out of. It also makes you wonder if they've changed the architecture and the material of prisons based on this film. Because, interesting fact, if we get to this in a future episode, we'll come back to this. According to certain articles that i've read true truth or factuality to be determined during the sopranos and the godfather i think this after the godfather certain families in new york began to model themselves more after that and during the sopranos there were certain mobsters who, who went anonymously on the record who said how do they know how we model our families because the sopranos and how they model tony soprano and his family in the mafiosa is shockingly accurate to the actual five families of New York. I'm going to take your word for it because I haven't seen The Godfather or The Sopranos. Well, now we have something to talk about in a few episodes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so we cut back 
to the scene where Andy's starting to write his name back, I think, from like episode one. And as he's scraping his name, a large chunk falls off the wall. And we hear through Red's voiceover, Andy loved geology. Geology is the study of pressure and time. And that's all it takes. Pressure and time and a big goddamn poster. Andy's favorite pastime was taking his wall out to the yard one handful at a time. And it's a legitimately smart way. He would keep his hands in his pockets and then he would drop the wall through his pants so that nobody can see. But also, that's not how a pocket is supposed to work. It was not in his pockets. It was in his actual trousers. He just picked them up. I think I think he like would put his pants, put his hands in his trousers and just drop them down, you know, down the legs of his pants. But his hands were physically in the pockets in the scene. Suspend your disbelief. It's a movie. But I'm just saying, like, you know, either he has ripped pockets and just because it's Shawshank and he's a prisoner, nobody cared. Or something's fishy because that's not how pockets work. And sure, if they're in his trousers, why were his hands? Maybe he's holding his trousers from like outside of his pants, too. But I I don't know. That just seems very uncomfortable. It just took me out for like half a second. I was like, that's not how a pocket works. I don't know. I were I'm just I'm just going with it at this point. Fair enough. So we see Andy on the last night in the warden's office. He switches out the sketchy ledger with all the nefarious doings with an identical ledger and papers. He drops off the fake ones and then he did as he told. He buffed the warden's shoes to a great shine and then he wore those shoes that night and the guards nor red noticed and another line that i have heard multiple times i never knew where it came from until now i mean how often do you look at a man's shoes clearly not often enough you wore some nice boots today my shoes well they're not really boots but thank you they need to be buffed as well sure most of my shoes need to be cleaned currently and yeah it was just beautiful so what we see is that when all of this happened i was like Oh, of course, this makes sense. Andy's been playing such a long game. Andy's gonna become Randall Stevens. Everything started making sense now. Yeah, this this, this is where all the pieces we've been waiting on for the last third of the movie, I would say, fall into place. Everything makes sense. All of these little things start to kind of fall into place. And you think, this is the long con. This is how Andy gets his revenge. And this is how that filthy, disgusting, degenerate <laughs> bastard Norton finally gets his due. Uncle, does he get his due? Well, let's find out, TJ. I think the man that you seem to love dearly is about to have some things happen to him. I have been waiting on this all movie. All movie. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I feel like listeners tj you know has strong opinions we'll find out hope so. <laughs> so. I, I, ho- I hope they feel the same way i do i really hope so man, man i manifest everybody who's listening to this has the same opinion as me <laughs> fair enough so andy takes the books and his chess pieces andy crawls through the tunnel and he climbs down through the pipes on the outside and then he uses the timing of the thunder which makes sense of now why he waited for that thunderstorm to come through to break into the sewage pipe. He then crawled through it. And this is just such a good line that I had to say it 
and I'll just read it. But it's from Morgan Freeman's voice, so I cannot do it justice, but I will try. Do it, man. 500 yards of shit-smelling foulness. I can't even imagine. 500 yards. Five football fields. Just shy of half a mile. And that is how far Andy had crawled to his freedom. My days. Oh, my days. That... I think the smell alone of that would be enough to make me just say no. You know what? I'm good. I I can't. I'll, I can I'll just stay out. in prison. I don't I don't want freedom. I that, just, that's I, your. I can, I can stick this out. Shows like I said. I I mentioned the fire of determination in his eyes earlier. I will say again. Only that fire could push me to crawl through, even a tiny bit of of that shit smelling foul. <laughs> Five hundred yards. It's insane to oh think about. Oh my god. It's crazy. Oh and my god. Also, just an amazing score as the rain is falling on Andy when he's free outside of Shawshank. Um, I can't do it justice. Obviously, this is an audio medium, but please, please, please go look up that piece of music. It is amazing. I'll 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 take it back in just a moment. First time I ever saw this film, sophomore year of high school. Dr. Huntley Byers, Music in the Movies class. We watched this film, not for the film, but to appreciate the music in it. That single scene is one of the best pieces of movie music ever. Ever. And there have been some tremendous, tremendous scores, but nothing in most, most films come close to that fair enough so red the next morning we hear the next morning right when raquel was kind of spilling her little secret a man that nobody had laid eyes on before strode into maine national bank he didn't exist except on paper he had all the proper id and the signature was a spot on match and you know he takes out all of his money fair enough he's doing what any person would do get the money run fair enough he asks the bank to add something to their outgoing mail and i was like who where is this mail addressed to i'd be very surprised if it's shawshank but also maybe it is and nobody thinks twice because he has all the proper documentation but it didn't feel like it was going to shawshank i tried to read it but i couldn't quite read the postcode on it it wasn't quite clear but we find out very soon. So, my bro, I have a question before we go further. Is there any possibility, any remote possibility, that this phantom who nobody has seen has a name? Yeah. Didn't I just say that? Randall no. Stevens. You didn't say Randall Stevens. You said... Oh, it's Randall Stevens. Here. Yes, of course it's Randall <laughs> I just I was, I was doing it for the... Uh, for the the theatrical build-up, but you didn't say <laughs> Randall Stevens, did you? I guess not. Oops. Uh, d- if anyone was confused, it's Randall Stevens. <laughs> there we go. That's the one. But also, Randall Stevens, can I just say, yes, the swagger, the cool, the calmness. I am here for it. Let's go. And looks surprisingly like Andy Dufresne. Maybe a coincidence? No, uh, no, 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 no. This man is Randall Stevens. This man is he Randall has Stevens, a swagger. Yeah. He does. He so, has a suit, a swagger, and some very, very nice shoes, to be fair. Very well polished, very well buffed. No, nobody would ever question the, the legitimacy of this man. No, why would they? So, 
And this man, he visited multiple banks and then he fled town with about $370,000 of the warden's money. I'm actually curious. What 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 year was this movie created? Was this movie well, uh, released in? It was yeah. released in 94. 94. What 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 year does Randall Stevens Sometime in the out. 60s. So I'm going to check right now. On I, I can do it. Just curious. Nine, let's say 1965 to 2020. So $1 in 1960 is worth about $10.16 today. So let's say, was it 370000 Yep. 370000 times 10.16, 10 roughly. Equals $3,759,200. I think he did fairly well for himself. Quite a, quite a nest egg he escaped with. Well done. So, we find out then he shipped the ledger to the DA's office and it's posted in the paper. It's the Daily Bugle, specifically the Portland City edition, in case anyone was wondering. But no, also... No Spider-Man here. Exactly! This isn't Spider-Man! <laughs> Thank you. Somebody else caught it. There we go. <laughs> but the headline reads, Corruption, Murder at Shawshank. The DA has a ledger. Indictments expected. Yes! yes! So... Yes! Get it! I... Norton, you deserve it. Every bit of shit that's coming your way. And let's find out what that is. So, and I will say one thing. As soon as Norton opens that, he hears the police sirens coming. He does. He has the sirens in his office coming to the prison to arrest him. He goes over. He checks the ledger, which actually ends up being a copy of the Bible. And on the inside of the cover, Andy leaves a note. Dear Warden, you were right. Salvation lay within Andy Dufresne. The Bible, in case anybody was wondering, is the authorized King James Version printed by the National Bible Press. That's just a lazy name for a printing press in Philadelphia. It is, but the King James Version is a fantastic edition. Fantastic I have nothing against the King James Version. I don't fantastic. know much about Bibles and or the different versions. However, can I just point out that the National Bible Press is just a lazy name for a printing press. It is. But I respect the King James, Ver- King James Version. It's a great translation. But the one thing that stuck out to me the most in this scene, he sees this, he turns around, and Norton looks at that needlepoint on his wall. And it says, His judgment cometh, and that right soon. And, oh my gosh, he is about to get judged, judged guilty. And I have been waiting on this for hours of this film. (laughs) Yes, let's see what this filthy, disgusting, degenerate bastard gets. Anke, what does he get? Hold on, I gotta stop laughing because every time you come on one of those tyrants, it's I hate this man. He is awful. This is one of the most awful, inhumane, <laughs> filthy bastards. I am trying to maintain my vocabulary here because this is still a. You're deep, not doing very well. You I know I'm not doing very like well. Five times. Yes, he's a dickhead. He's a fucking <laughs> asshole, and he deserves every bit of shit that is coming his way. Go go. I have had my rant. Let's see what happens. Short. Sure. Before we get to that, though, he does open the Bible, and inside the Bible is where Andy hit the little rock hammer. Yes! Woo! Yes! <laughs> beautiful Andy. You Beautiful man, Andy Dufresne. So, the DA has now arrived, and he first arrests Byron Hadley. And Red has heard that, you know, Hadley started sobbing like a little girl when he was arrested, and Norton had no intention of going quietly. 
we see Norton open the desk, revealing a gun. And I was like, no, he deserves justice. Death is just mercy. He needs to, like, go to prison and become a prisoner at his own thing. Spoiler, he doesn't. Norton starts loading a gun. He aims it at the door, and then he just shoots himself. Chin. In case anyone is curious, he aimed it at his chin with the bullet going up. And in my notes, I'm just like, damn, I wanted him to suffer. Yeah, you know what, Sam? That, you know what, normally I am very sympathetic for anybody who is a, a victim of suicide. Go that on record. Suicide is tragic. I have more than a couple of friends who have lost their lives to suicide. God rest their souls. I hope they're in a better place now. But this demonic asshole... <laughs> This self-righteous prick, that is the coward's way out. That is the only time I will ever say that. He is a coward. He always was a coward who hid behind a perverted sense of religion and the power that his office wielded. And at the end, he was a coward. I am so glad I got you for these episodes. So... (laughs) Soon after, Red gets a postcard. After the warden deprived him of his company? Is that what it was? Yes, the warden deprived him of their com- of oh, his what company. A, what a shame. I know. Absolute pity. Oh, well. Uh, he had so much left to offer. I know, like, you know. Yeah. I could have ranted about him so much longer than that. No, I think we're good. I think that's been most of this episode. So Allow it, man. <laughs> soon after, Red gets a postcard, and it was blank, but it was from Fort Hancock, Texas, and this is where they're assuming Andy has crossed over. Red laughs whenever he thinks of Andy just driving his car. Andy Dufresne, who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. What a line. Andy Dufresne headed for the Pacific. Amazing line. I would not have been upset if that is where where the film ended. However, it doesn't. We still got some more going on. Mm -hmm. So, everyone's sitting at the table. Everyone's laughing. Everyone's joking, talking about Andy. And sometimes Red admits, like, you know, he's sad that Andy's gone. But he also accepts that some birds can't be caged. But the place you live is drabber once they are gone. But just be happy for the time that they were around. And be happy that these birds are now flying free. Definitely. So, once again, we are at Red's parole meeting. But... 40 years now? We're at 40 years. 40 years. This time, it is a little bit different. We have three old white men. One young white male in the middle, and a woman as well. Different lineup of people that are making this decision. We find out that his name is Ellis Boyd Redding. I just felt like this is the first time that we heard that. And that he has served 40 years of a life sentence. And what Red says here is amazing, and I'll paraphrase it a bit, but Red says that he doesn't know what rehabilitated actually means. He knows what the people at the desk think that it means, but to him it's just a made-up word, a politician's word, so that young fellows like the guy at the table can wear a suit and a tie and have a job and asks what they really want to know. Is he sorry for what he did? Yes, he is. There isn't a day that goes by that he doesn't feel regret, but not because he's in here or because, you know, or because the people at the desk think that he should feel regret. When he looks back, he was very young. He was a young, stupid kid who committed a terrible crime. And all he wants to do is talk to him and try to talk some sense into him, but he can't. The kid is long gone, and the old man is all that's left. He can live with that. 
and tells them to stamp the form, stop wasting his time, because in truth, he don't give a shit. They approve it! They approve it. Had had to be like that. And, and, and one thing I will say that genuinely makes me kind of wonder is it wasn't the remorseful got wasn't a remorseful kid who had just spent 20 years in prison it wasn't the 30 year man who had been trying to figure out what to say to approve to appease his men it was the 40 year veteran of this hellhole who had been institutionalized who had been beat down to his basest form and at that point who was just fed up fed up with them fed up with the system fed up with prison fed up with everything but it was the man who was fed up, not the one who sh- who was trying to show remorse, but the person who just genuinely said what he felt. Yeah, definitely. And what, I mean, what it, beyond the film, what does that say about society? This says a lot about society, and yet we live in one. <laughs> we don't have time to get into that, so we're gonna continue with the film. <laughs> so I just I had to say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Redheads out of Shawshank, and it's the same music that played when Brooks got out. Yes, and it, it plays did. now. And he even gets the same job. He has the same room as Brooks. That's just cold. Mm. And so in Red's voiceover, he says, "There is a harsh truth to face. No one, no way, he will make it on the outside. All he does is think about ways to break his parole just to be sent back. And it's terrible to live in fear. He wants to go back to where things make sense." So he doesn't have to live in fear. But the only thing that stops him is a promise that he made to Andy. So, Red heads up to the hayfields in Buxton. He finds the big tree and the wall. And he finds the stone volcanic glass. It was there. It was there. Andy was, was dead on. Dead on. So he pulls out a box with a picture of a ship on it. And the box inside, he finds a letter and a small envelope. The envelope has money. I was partially right. I didn't think that there would be a letter, but fair enough. It makes sense because, you know, he needs directions. Here is the letter. And it's one of the very few voiceovers that we hear in this film that isn't read. I think we only hear one from Brooks earlier when he wrote the letter, his suicide note to the boys back in prison. And then this one of Andy. I don't believe that we hear any others unless you're counting the beginning of the film where the DA is filling us in on all the information and we're getting the flashback scenes to Andy. So... What Andy says in this letter, Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Ziwataneho. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. No good thing ever dies. I'll be hoping that this letter finds you and finds you well. Your friend, Andy. Beautiful. Yeah. You get some beautiful music playing at the same time at the end of the film as, you know, Red goes on this trip. He goes to find his friend. And you have very beautiful music playing at the end of the film as Red walks through the fields. He carves his name next to Brooks saying Brooks was here and so was Red. He breaks his parole violation, but he doubts that anyone's going to kick up a fuss for an old crook like him. The same words that Brooks wrote in his suicide letter. Exactly. Red hopes to make it, see his friend, and he's finally hoping for good. 
And he reaches the beach and sees Andy working on his boat. Huge grin on his face and a beautiful pan out with the Pacific on the left. And you see the two Freds and you see the two friends hug on the beach from a distance. Finally reunited, finally ready to live. Yeah. I mean, amazing, amazing film. I have nothing but good things to say about this film. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It made my heart wrench. Like, yeah. I'm I'm really happy that I w- that I proposed this film to you, man. I was, I this this to me is one of the finest films ever made. This is it's powerful, it's emotional, it's gut wrenching, and it is a masterpiece. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did the first time I saw it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I mean, I probably watched it in a very different way than most people watch a film for the first time as long as you watched it and got something out of it that's all that matters man but it was so much fun and i loved it now as i will do for this film and any future films once we get to the end of a film i'm just gonna go over some statistics about the film you know all of these films have come out a while ago most likely so there are things in the world written about them but i purposely don't look up this information beforehand because I don't want to accidentally come across any spoilers or anything like that while I'm doing this research. So just some ratings. It has a 9.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. It got 21 wins across 43 nominations in total, seven Oscar nominations, including Best Actor for Morgan Freeman. It is ranked number one on IMDb's top 250 movies list. So TJ, you are not the only one that thinks that this film is wonderful. Most everyone else in the world seems to have nothing but good things to say about this film as well. Brilliant. It was made on a budget of 25 million US dollars. How much did it gross? The box office gross was only 73.3 million. That is a travesty. And it was a disappointment at the box office. But what I did find is that it was also competing with Pulp Fiction. Okay. Which I have not seen, but it was competing with Pulp Fiction. You haven't seen Pulp Fiction either? At this point, why are you surprised? I legitimately say it in the intro of my episode to make my friends more happy. Uh, (laughs) Dear me. Dear me, dear me, dear me. And it was also competing with Forrest Gump, which I have seen. Thank God. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, and that apparently Forrest Gump, I didn't know about this, but it had a successful forty-two week run in theaters. That that checks out. That checks out. So it was competing with both of these. It's most most of its success came through video rental, and I was like, ah, good old blockbuster. There we go. Rest in peace. Gone, but there's never one. I think it's the one in Oregon. Is there one? Is, is, I thought that was just a meme account on Twitter. Is no, no, no. I'm pretty sure that the only blockbuster left in the world is the one in Bend, Oregon. I think there might be one in Australia too, but I'm pretty sure it's in Bend, Oregon. Bend, if I Oregon. Correctly. One, one day I will make it back to the Pacific Northwest and I will visit that blockbuster. There we go. Well, hopefully it's still alive. And it you will know, be. That w- we, we can never let I that don't think die. that that's one thing that's going to go away. If it's the last one in the world, it's going to survive. But... So it got most of its success through video rentals and by airing it on TV regularly. Tim Robbins said that the turning point was the Oscars because what happened was that 
this film that nobody had really been talking about, you know, was suddenly showing up for seven different nominations. And that's when everyone started getting curious. All right, what is this film? Like, if it's been nominated this much, what is this film? Like, what is going on? But by that point, it was already out of theaters. And so that's why most of the success and the following and everything came from video rentals. And afterwards, it was just a disappointment at the box office. If you're competing with Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction, unfortunately, that's not a surprise. Exactly. And Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, both are names that you can easily market. How are you supposed to market? And I think Morgan Freeman said this in an interview as well. How are you supposed to market the Shawshank Redemption? Fair point. Compared to Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump. Fair point. Fair point. Fair enough. And this is a fun fact. The prison that they shot most of the film at was in Ohio. Oh my god, of course it was in Ohio. (laughs) Of course the most dreary, disturbing place in the world is in Ohio. (laughs) Fair enough. I used to live near Ohio. I think it's fine. My dad's from Ohio. I will slug it off as much as I want. He has more to say about Ohio than I do. If you have any issues, direct them to TJ. You have my Instagram in the last film. I will take any and all hate mail. <laughs> His DMs are open. So, yes, the, they are. the prison was in Ohio. It was meant to be torn down after filming, but it ended up becoming a tourist attraction. And in 2019, it estimated 16 million US dollars in revenue. <laughs> That's actually really impressive. I'm not going to lie. That's just impressive. Like, they were like, well, we got to tear down this building. Oh, look. Now it just makes us money. Okay, I guess the state's okay with it. Here we yeah. go. The only thing the pr- the only thing the state of Ohio has to offer is a prison that was filmed in a movie. Here exactly. We go. So I have nothing but good things to say about this film. Amazing, amazing film. If you have somehow gotten to the end of episode four and you have yet to go watch this film, two things. One, thank you for being dedicated and thank you for listening. I appreciate the support. And two, go watch the film. <laughs> go watch the film. And thank you for your continued support. It makes two fresh graduates very happy. It really does. So, TJ, is there anything else you want to include other than you hate the warden? I was going to say I hate the warden, but you got that from me. I would say, you know what? This film speaks in a lot of different ways. It has many nuances. It has many themes. And it really just... There's a reason that this film has the even though it was against Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction there is a reason that this film has the success that it has that has the legacy that has the following it really speaks definitely so TJ if people want to find you on the internet doing things in your life how can they do that well I just mentioned my Instagram a minute ago when I was slacking off Ohio but I'll drop it again. My Instagram is tjwerner.12. Love to, uh, just kind of my life, kind of things I'm interested in. Places I go, people I meet. Love to have more followers. But, you know, I just, just got, like I said, just doing my thing. Living my life here in London. Trying to find a full-time job after getting my second master's degree. Fair enough. Well, you all know where to send the hate mail. Uh, TJ's Instagram. Especially those from Ohio. Again, TJ's Instagram. But Send it to Anka. It's Anka <laughs> is a Louisville and Kentucky fan. I am not a Kentucky fan. Yes, I just is. have a hat because a friend gave it to me for a gift and I felt bad throwing it away. Biz, oh. I love you. Thank you. All I heard is he has a Kentucky and a Louisville hat. 
I don't have a Louisville hat. I have a Louisville pennant. Anyway. Behave accordingly. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. TJ, thank you so much for joining. And until next time, when we are going to be reviewing Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I'll catch y'all later. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Post Finale. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. I also run the social media. Our editor is Pranav Nair. The music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison. And the art is by Jared Rother. If you'd like to support the show and get access to some bonus content, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash postfinale. All the money raised from the Patreon will go directly back into the show to help pay for microphones and better editing software, etc., etc. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at at postfinalepod on all three of those, and that is where I will be putting up updates on what are future films going to be and some behind the scenes of different things if you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way tell a friend about the show reach out and say hey you love movies or i've been trying to get you to watch more movies check out this new podcast talk about us on social media or leave a review on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you are listening to the show all of these things help and i appreciate all of you that have done so already or all of you that will do this in the future But I'm just very thankful that you have joined and listened to this episode as we finished up Shawshank Redemption. And be sure to join us next week as I have a very special guest on and we get to the second film that we are going to be watching through post-finale. And until then, I'll catch y'all later.